Well, hey, thanks for joining. This is Wesley Smith with the Tree Service Marketing Profits Podcast. And today we're doing a quick episode with Jim Cortese. He's an expert in the plant healthcare field and is one of our kind of our sequence of interviews with experts in the tree care industry, people who know their stuff, been in the business for decades and really can share some value with our audience and our listeners. So uh, today, if you're on YouTube watching this as a recording, go ahead and like and subscribe to our channel. We got plenty more content coming up with experts with interviews and marketing content coming up for free for you. Uh, we've got a new local service ads, a Google guaranteed webinar coming up next week. That'll be on YouTube as well. Uh, and if you're on the podcast, like and subscribe to your favorite podcast. We're on every one of the major platforms, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, et cetera. So I wanted to welcome Jim Cortese. Jim, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks that, for having me. That's awesome. You, you bet. I appreciate you joining. A lot of people are going to get some value from what you have to share today. So let's go ahead and get started with kind of how you started in the tree business back in the 1970s and kind of what led you up to today. I got a degree in forestry. And when I graduated, and I'm giving you the abbreviated for this, but uh, I graduated and I was going to do something with trees. And I had spent a summer with the Forest Service in California and later in Montana. And that gentleman that I had mentioned earlier, Nat Dunn, who attended my father's lecture in Memphis because he was a newspaper writer, wanted to meet me and give me information on Moje tree injector units and how to appraise the value of a tree. I went to the summer camp with the Forest Service and used these kids sitting in a summer camp as a sounding board all summer long about this newfangled idea of giving trees shots. Right. And near the end of the summer, one of the kids said, Cortese, you really ought to go out to, back to Tennessee and do something with these tree injectors you've been blathering about all summer. It was a crucial moment that it all sort of made sense to me. And I said, you know, you're right, I need to do that. So I came back to Knoxville and being an average student, I had one more quarter in those days to attend to get my degree. And so I took every undergraduate entomology and plant pathology class I could take, realizing that if I was gonna do something with trees, I need to understand about tree insects and tree diseases and that type of thing. Sure. Uh, I graduated in December. Uh, this Nat Dunn had a seminar scheduled to be in uh, near the end of February of 77 in Memphis. Uh, he had one person in addition to myself signed up for that seminar. I was antsy. I wanted to get on with my career. And I found out that there was another seminar in Dallas, Texas on February 2nd of 1977. So I borrowed my older brother's uh, car and drove from Memphis to Dallas, Texas. And when I left Dallas, Texas that day, I was the Moshe Company's new distributor for their products for Eastern Tennessee, Western North Carolina, and parts of Kentucky. So between the 2nd of November and the, 20, the, 30th, the 28th of November, part of my agreement was that I was going to put on a seminar in Knoxville on the 28th, and I would have 20 people, including professors from the University of Tennessee in attendance. Wow, so you you had started at a small conference, learned all of what you needed to learn about these injections and things like that for tree service, tree care, and then now you're putting on the meeting uh, coming I'm up. Putting, I'm putting on the meeting. Okay. And so I pulled that off, but you still have a cash flow issue. In fact, my 
one uh, message to anybody in business, be it be tree business or anything else, is that cash flow is king. If you have no cash flow, you're dead in the water. Uh, Good tip. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I came back to Knoxville. I rented an office. I lived in my office. I did not have an apartment or anything. I literally found a guy who would rent me in a room in the upstairs of his business. He put in a shower in the bathroom. He put a refrigerator in the bathroom. And I had about a 13 by 13 room that was where I, a little desk I had with a hot plate in the corner. And that was the beginning of Cortese Tree Specialist. I looked around. Uh, Knoxville in February at all the what, what, what did people with the degree in trees do in the city and everybody advertised that they topped trees and I knew that that was kind of like having a hang having a hangnail let's see if I can get my finger in here where oh there yeah there you go have having 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 topping a tree my goodness I thought this would be pretty simple yeah, there you go. You get anyway, yeah. have, top, you show your finger. Topping a tree is like cutting your finger off at the knuckle and right. saying, thanks, docs. I appreciate you taking care of the pain of the hangnail that was bothering me, which is why I came to see you. And uh, he, he's, he's quite happy with that. Well, people are always looking to get trees topped. And I, it's just it's stupid. At that same time, Shigo, Alex Shigo, who I consider to be the father, most people consider him the father of modern arboriculture. He gave a lecture at um, Michigan State University in Ann Arbor in 19, the fall of 1978. And I happened to be sitting at a table next to him before he became who he became. And he said something to me at that meeting. He said, if you're going to inject trees, make the wounds as small and as shallow as possible. But we will have arrived when we're able to move chemicals and materials through the bark of the tree and the lentil cells within the bark of the tree. Well, I didn't know what a lentil cell was. And I was still in the process of uh, assimilating, injecting materials into the uh, sap stream, the most recent year or two's growth ring of the tree to control insects, diseases, whatever. I also, to, because of this cash flow issue, is if, if February is not, people aren't injecting trees and they're not doing anything with that. It's a terrible time to start a business. And so I had to do something to pay the bills. And that room that I had was costing me $125 a month and the gas in my in my, in my uh, car that I bought in Montana for $287 needed gasoline. I had a station wagon, a 67 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, and I used to put brush in the back of it and haul it around. It's my first tree truck. Anyway. Well, it's safe to say you were all in at that point, Jim. I mean, you were I, I operating no your choice. business. There yeah, operating the business there, out of the office and then living there, out of the there office. Was, the same there was time. no going back. It was sink or yeah. swim. And when one has faced with it, if you're going to go into something, you go into it whole hog 100% because you have no backup. You have to go forward. Completely agree. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's how I started. I looked around. I knew how to prune shrubbery. I was a free, I'm a freehand tree climber even to this day. Uh, I know how to use ropes and saddles. And I recommend that if you're going to do this profession that you learn to do it uh, for, 
properly with ropes and saddles and all the safety gear that's there. But in those days in 77, I was a freehand climber. I'd climbed trees all my life with no ropes or saddles or anything else. In fact, one of the, in my stint with the Forest Service in Northern California in the Six Rivers National Forest, I spent my off time going through the Jedediah Smith Redwood Forest looking for a redwood tree that I could freehand climb. It took me all summer to do so, but I found five, five trees, five, five mm-hmm. trees, yes, five trees in a row. And the littlest two were side by side and I could squeeze up between them. And I got into the next to the smallest one and went to the top of it and it interlocked with the branches of the third tree. And I went to the top of it and I kept crossing over until I got into the big mama. And I climbed to the top of that tree or within about 15 foot of the top. I learned that all the tops of the redwood forest in that park were dead, the upper 15 foot. And that was in 70, 74, I believe it was. How tall were these redwood trees, would well, you estimate? I went, back, I went back the next day with a measuring tape and a phonometer and measured as close as I could. And that tree was 310 foot tall, give or wow. take 15 feet. And it was uh, roughly 32 feet in circumference. Wow, that's humongous. Those are the ones that they actually have where the car drives through some of them out there in California. uh, Yes, in fact, one of my ancestors, one of my great-grandmothers in the 1920s is a picture of her and friends that had just come come through that tree. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I love trees. That's how I got into this. I looked for things that I could do in a tree. As a freehand climber, I'd climb small trees. I went down to the Sears store. I bought a pole saw, an electric chainsaw, a uh, pair of hand snips, rope. I uh, did not have a saddle at that time. Uh, rakes. I bought the things that I thought I would need. And I became a walking, talking public relations man. And he who doesn't toot his own horn, his horn doesn't get tooted. That's the 10 and, foot rule, Jim. Anybody within 10 foot knows what you do, how you do it, and when you do it. Yeah. Well, you, right. you, get, you get involved in the community because mm-hmm. the more you get involved in the community, the more they, uh, they, they, they call on you because you told them what you do and suddenly they need a tree taken care of. And so anyway, I've had to learn the hard way how to climb a tree properly because in the early days, I hired and subcontracted uh, trees bigger than I could handle to every, I, I went through every tree company in the Knoxville market in those days. Remember this is 77, 78, and 79. And when I couldn't do it, I would, hire somebody or have them come give me a bid on it and I would listen to them and I would then add a hundred or two hundred dollars to the job and I would build a client and pay them and keep two hundred dollars for myself and, right uh, but I would watch them and how they operated and how they did these things I'm self-taught I never I, I wasn't Davy I wasn't Bartlett uh, I had no body that I had ever worked from I had a degree in forestry I had book knowledge and understanding of trees and tree biology so anyway in order to learn how to do this, you hired people, you watched what they did, and finally I settled on some old hillbillies, the B&D Tree Service, and uh, they, this was old arboriculture. We had climbing spikes and old manila ropes, and that's how I learned to climb trees. Then, as I said, Shigo came along in 78. He changed the game. I went back to trees in the early 80s that I had pruned with climbing spikes in the early days, and saw these big funky wounds where it had sap had oozed, and sure. I scraped it away, and you could see these little triangular points uh, on, on the top of branches. 
which begs the question, why do trees fall on golf courses? It's because they always hired the cheapest people around to prune their trees, and they always used climbing spikes in those days. And a wound plus time equals decay. And 10 years down the road, you've had that 10 years of that decay moving in through the climbing spike wound. Then you could have a, a bird land on the tree or a caterpillar land on the tree, and suddenly the tree just breaks. Well, that wound is on the upper side of those branches, and they literally break off. I've watched this through the school of hard knocks over the years. I had a big oak, a big silver maple in front of my later office. And I literally watched Shigo's theory of compartmentalization take place because I would wound the tree. And then I would watch the rotten decay and the new callus tissue callus over the wound. But you could literally watch this decay progressing as it ended up as a hollow tree. My joke was that if I died early, that uh, they could cut the tree down and stick me in it and plant me. Yeah, there you go. Well, I want to go back just a little bit. That's very interesting and a lot of added value there for what you just shared. I appreciate that. So we'll go back to so you started the Cortese tree specialist, and that was just kind of a you know, word of mouth, uh, you're going to tell everybody you're the evangelist of the tree service and tree care. And you went out and you're, you're watching people, how they prune trees, trim trees, remove trees and things like that. Yeah, but these, these were the mm -hmm. people that I subcontracted. Exactly. And that's who you were. Until I hit the B&D tree service. And then I hired Gene Bird. Those guys were what they called nickel and dimers. By mm -hmm. the time you get to September, October, November, they didn't have any work to do. And they would stay with no work to do until April or May. Which is a key point because a lot of people are in that boat today. They are. Mm -hmm. and so I learned that you had to pre-sell takedowns for the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And I tried never to do a takedown right now. I always tried to sell them to be done in the wintertime. And somewhere around 79 or 80, I had a really good backlog of takedowns. And so I went to this guy, Gene Bird, with the B&D Tree Service. I said, I'd like you to consider coming to work with me in my business. And he, was, he taught me how to climb a tree. I never saw him climb a tree. He never climbed a tree, but his nickname was Snuffy because he always had his mouth full of nastiness. Anyway, he was a wonderful fellow, and uh, he taught me how to safely climb trees with a rope and saddle, old school. And so... That's how we got started. Uh, I found out early on, I tried uh, all kinds of advertising and things to do. And I considered something that if somebody has a tree service or a landscape service or a lawn care service, if you want to promote your business, you got to quit using a shotgun and use the high powered rifle. Now, what is the high powered rifle? The high powered rifle is to promote yourself in anything locally in a community that has anything to do with the arts. If you're in the arts, uh, the people who have expendable cash, excess money that would like to have high quality work done, they support the arts. And I don't care what community in America it is, that's where they, they hang out. And they will support the people who support the arts. It could be dance, it could be theater, it can be art galleries, it can be opera, it can be symphony. My favorite was the symphony and the uh, opera because the people who have excess expendable cash, they support those types of art 
Yeah, that's a very, very valuable share right there, Jim. I want anybody watching this to rewind it about one minute and start back where Jim started with that, because that makes a lot of sense. Those people have disposable income. Those people are local, wealthy people in the community, typically. And if you hang out in those circles, they want this type of work done where you're saving trees or shaping the trees correctly, other, things like other, that, you know? The other thing, Wes, that correlates with that is that if you're going to be in business, you got to play the game proper. That means you got to get your, uh, your, your licenses. Mm -hmm. You have to have insurance. You have to have the things that you got to have because that gives people security. There's enough people out there without these things that by teaching people proper arboriculture and how to take care of trees properly, those people told other people and the word of mouth progress began. I never missed trying to talk to uh, garden clubs, civic clubs, rotaries, kiwanas, lions, uh, civitans, uh, any of those things. And it doesn't matter what you talk to them about, but I like to talk to them about how decay progresses in a tree and why tree topping hurts. Because those were things that in every community, you see it. And I'll also throw out another little subtle thing, but uh, if you go into any city in America, small town, big town, and you want to know where the poor section is and where the world of grew is, look for where the topping is. If you see topping, you're going to be in a poor section of town because the poor people seem to not have any control over much. And so they spend their time cutting the whack from the top out of their trees. Mm -hmm. The more well-to-do because they're a little bit more educated normatively, they don't have as much topping. It's not that there won't be, but there's less of it. So... Well, oh, good tip. That's a great tip. So as you were building the Cortese tree specialist over the years, over the decades, that kept building word of mouth. You became the expert in Knoxville for tree care and things like that. And then simultaneously, you were launching TIPCO, which now you're the owner and consulting arborist of the chemicals and the spraying and the fertilization of trees. Well, I started right? three things in 77. I started TIPCO, which then was called Moje Southeast or something like that, but it's the same, same company. I started the Tortese Tree Specialist in March of that year. And by the end of the year, I was also working as a consulting arborist because I uh, was an expert witness in a very large court case in the Knoxville area. I still do all three of those things. Uh, at some point right now, I spend most of my time writing reports for attorneys and insurance companies on tree-related issues. I spend the other half of my time uh, telling people about plant health care and why they need to be doing it. You know, everybody in the world is in the tree pruning business, and they're all concerned about only they can prune a tree. And you can't grow a, grow a tree until you get out. Of, you can't grow, your, grow your, your, your tree business until you get out of the trees. You know what that means? Sure. It means that as long as you're the only climber that's out there, you don't have time to go be selling your tree work and what you're all about. And so once you get out of the trees, you can concentrate on managing the business and treating it as a business. If I had one claim to fame, it's the fact that when I started the business, the tree business in TIPCO, I treated them as businesses and I applied business practices to those, those businesses. And, and one of the key ingredients of that is keeping records. 
so many people that I've run into, their, their filing system is on the dashboard of their car and they can never, they, they, they can never find anything. I have records on every tree I ever worked at going back to February of 77. And I can tell you how much income came through the door from then until now, until 20, December of 2013, when I sold Cortese Tree to the Davey Corporation. TIPCO, the same thing. I can go back to the early days and I can create a listing of how much has been sold month by month and who bought it, et cetera. That's important data. If you want to project your business into the future, you got to look and see what was happening in the past. And what that did for me is in the early days of the business, somewhere in the, I guess the early 80s, I discovered that there was a two, two uh, there's a W form to business in the tree business. The first is, is that I had to have enough jobs sold by the 1st of July to carry me through till the end of the mid to the end of August. Because if I didn't have those jobs sold, I was going to be high and dry. The second thing is, is you about around the 1st of September, you start a big run and you run until uh, probably the 1st of December and you had to start backlocking you know, those trees that I take downs. I would start pre-selling them to be token, taken down in the wintertime because you have this ebbs and flows throughout the season. And the only way that you can keep your cash flow is you have and you keep your employees. There's nothing worse than having employees and then suddenly you have no work for them. And if you have no work for them, then they're gonna go someplace else. And your efforts at training them is just falling on, falling on, 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 on quicksand. Yeah, and we do hear that from time to time. But I wanna, I wanna also just uh, hit on a point that you just had alluded to a minute ago, as far as keeping a database of your clients, the addresses, the work you've done, everything you've done for those clients. We harp on this a lot with our clients who we're doing marketing for. And it's because you want to build up that database of your customers because you want to build a fence around those people. You know, you can actually market to them with email newsletters. You can have intelligent conversations All with them down people. the road because you remember what you did in the past for them. So that's very, very see, important. That's to do. The, and that's so important because the next time you come there, you can pull your file out and you can say, oh, I was there three years ago. And especially if you're dealing with plant health care, you need to know what you treated and what you treated it with. And you can put notes as to later if you're checking out, you can tell how you did with it. And it just, it gives you all kinds, you know, how many people you had on the crew on that site and who they were. You could even send the same crew back out if they're still with you. And that gives people a sense of security also. That's great. That's a good point too. And so, so you, you built Cortese Tree Specialist and we're building the, the chemicals and, the, and, that, and that side of the business as well. You were very busy during that time frame, it sounds like, and kind of got it to where you were a well-known tree service specialist there in the Knoxville area, Cortese Tree Specialist. And then when did you kind of look to possibly sell the company or did that kind of happen by accident or were you seeking out a buyer for your company? Uh, well, let's just put it this way. I built the company on three, three, three things. Excellence in arboriculture, tree topping herbs, and I don't remember what the third one was, but anyway, by the time we, we built it up, those were all marketing ploys because as we talked about, uh, to, to try and have public relations. And it's not because I consider myself brilliant, but I've always been very good at utilizing other people's good ideas better. And specifically to your question of selling, I've got four children and 
the lesson of the grandfather, that's my grandfather, is that he wanted his sons to be doctors. And so my uncle, my father's brother became an optometrist and my father flunked out of medical school because he absolutely detested being a doctor. So then he went into newspapering. I raised my kids uh, sort of along the same line of my father and that is that they have their own passions and if their passions line with mine then I would love to have them come work with me in the tree business and what I'm doing but I would be happier for them to be enjoying their own passions because it's better to be a, a poor man doing something that you love than a rich man doing something that you detest and hate every day of the week mm -hmm. so anyway when it got to be 2013 uh, there was another tree company here in town, the Wolf Tree Service, which was primarily a utility line service. Uh, they did do some residential work, but Davey bought them up, oh, maybe four or five years, six years before they approached me. And they approached, they did approach me, and I thought about it. And since none of my children had any interest in trees, uh, there was no sense in perpetuating that because the plant health care business and consulting was consuming much of my time. And so I was open to them buying the business. But uh, that's how we got to it. Uh, I, I was actually hoping to get a little bit of a competition between Davey and Bartlett, but I couldn't get Bartlett interested. Oh yeah, no, we've seen Davy <laughs> Davy Tree Company. They're, <laughs> they're humongous. We see them at the TCIA Expo and uh, you know Bartlett as well. So, so that's a testament. If you run a good tight ship tree company, you're doing good revenues. You've got a good, well, uh, you know, rated business and and it's well respected around the community. Then one day that's going to be an option for you if you do decide that you want to sell your business and get out of it or do something else or maybe do something a little bit less, uh, you know, less maybe less risky, less, you know, easier type work, consulting type work, because now you're the expert, right? And so that's why now you've kind of transitioned more into the, the plant health care and tipco.green. I, I spend all of my time mentoring other people to www.tipco.green. And I'm Jim at tipco.green. So anyway, I'm very happy to help anybody, anywhere. If you're in, wanting, wanting to learn about plant health care, uh, I always recommend that you never turn a job down. If you're a small guy and you say, I'd like to think about it someday. One of the issues is, is that someday never gets here. Yeah. And if you start taking those little jobs and if you're looking around at someone's yard and you see aphids on their tulip popper tree that you just pruned, you can suggest, well, would you like me to take care of this problem for you? And so I would take care of that problem for them. Yeah it became ultimately your, your tree pruning, general tree pruning of trees was about 45% of what we did. Tree takedowns was about 25 to 30% of what we did. And the rest of it was plant health care. And there were a few other things like cable embracing and lightning rod installations were maybe a little bit, but I'd say on average, the plant health care was around 15 to 18% of everything that we did. And we did uh, liquid root fertilizing. We used uh, treated uh, trees for insects, disease problems, anything, yeah. anything along those lines. Uh, and, and it spread out into shrubbery. I mean, shrubs get their problems too, and they need to be taken care of. And you can set up 
uh, programs to come in and monitor people's yards and then charge them so much per month to monitor their yards and then have a specific fee because you, you can you can learn what the what the average types of insects and diseases in a particular community go to the ag extension service if you're unsure about what's it, what problems are in your area uh, ag extension is in every county in america ag extension okay agriculture every county knox county agriculture extension service i consider probably to be the best governmental private service that's ever been created by America because they, they not only help you with landscaping and horticulture and tree issues, but home, they, they're in the home service and helping people to keep their homes up and take care of their homes. They're, they're a plethora of information. They have nominal fees. They're tied into the state pesticide identifications, uh, insect identification, disease identification. They're the ones who uh, oversee you getting pesticide applicator licenses and that type of thing. Okay, well, great. That's, yeah, and so what, do you, what would you say, I'm gonna, we're gonna share all of your contact information too at the end of the, um, the, end of the meeting and, and put it in the show notes for the podcast so people can reach out to you if they have any questions or if they want consulting help from you. What would you say, would you say plant healthcare really sort of took off in, in what decade do you think? Did it start building kind of momentum in the 80s and 90s? Or how did that kind of go from? It probably, the, the decade of plant healthcare was probably started in the mid to late 80s. Okay. Caught feet in the early 90s. And uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it. Uh, yeah, things kind of evolve and the names. There was, a, there, was another, there was another name that they used for it. Because, you know, there's another uh, plant health care was an evolution. And in fact, I consider one of the Shigo revolutions is that it was an offshoot of him changing how we uh, deal with decay in trees and how trees rot and decay which changed the fact that prior to that, everybody used climbing spikes and now they mm -hmm. use they, they use ropes and saddles and learned how to move in a tree without those climbing spikes. And you only use a climbing spike on a dead tree. Well, right now we're in a period when there is a revolution in fertilizers because we've been dumping so much nitrogen on, on, on grounds and yards and places for, for generations and generations going back to the 30s and 40s. And now you can actually go up to a tree and, and in, well, I mean, normatively, if you're gonna quote liquid root fertilize a tree, and I say fertilize a tree, not feed a tree. Feeding is a poor description of what's happening. You're putting minerals into the soil so that the tree then can utilize that to grow better. You can grow a tree to death with nitrogen. Nitrogen is not the answer. It's all the microbes and the other beneficial things that are in the soils today. And many of these fertilizer companies are evolving to reduce the amount of nitrogen and include more uh, more, more, more uh, micronutrients and minerals, as well as microbes and other beneficial uh, bio, bio, biological critters. And I, I'm, I'm having a senior moment here. I can't think of the phrase I'm wanting. But, oh, there's so many different ones. Yeah, no, no yes, problem. There are a lot of them out there. 
-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a wonderful science. And if you want healthy trees, you're going to have to have healthy soil. And so if you're dealing with trees, you're not just dealing with trees, you're dealing with it. You want, I'm going to share with my greatest pet peeve. I have a pet peeve. I hate pot grown trees. I've never seen a pot grown tree that doesn't end up having girdling roots. If you want a good tree, you go to a nursery where they grow trees in the field. You pick out the trees that are the nicest looking trees and you put a dot on one side, north, south, east, or west, and you then transplant that tree to your yard and re-acclimate it so that that dot is north, south, east, or west, the same direction it was in the nursery. And you will never have uh, sun scalding or anything like that because it's like having a sunburn. You sit uh, covered up all winter long in that early spring, you might even get it mid-March and it gets one of those warm days where it gets up to 45, but you feel like it's 95. And so you take your coat off and suddenly you get sunburned sure. on your arms and your neck. Well, you take a tree and you, it's been growing one direction all of its life and you turn it around and that side that was away from the sun, it gets sunburned. The, the girdling roots within the pots, they claim that they start them in a small pot and then move them to a bigger pot, then move them to a bigger pot. Every tree that I have ever seen has severe girdling roots inside of it. And once a root is trained to grow in a circle, a tree's not going to live. Why, why do the trees in the city, they say they average seven years to nine years. Seven years, I think, was an average from a research article done about 25 years ago. It's because we're putting crap into the ground. And, we, how do, and then look at where we plant these trees. We plant them in pots. Uh, here in Knoxville, they've been had these big road projects where they come in and they're putting in new sidewalks and all this, and they create these little places for trees out in the middle of the road. Well, they've made the road and they packed that soil down so that you can't get through it. And then they put a barrier around that so that it looks like a, a place for the soil and they dump all the garbage in there and stick this poor tree that was pot grown. And, and, and then it fails after five or eight, nine years. I've seen them around here in my area. Yeah, there's there's a sidewalk and then there'll be a little skinny area with dirt and grass and they'll literally plant one in between the two concrete barriers. I mean, you know, it, it seems like that it just doesn't have enough room to breathe at that point. The roots to move around, you know. There's lots of opportunity. We haven't talked about employees. Mm -hmm. I was always really happy because I had people when I sold Cortez's tree in 2013 that had been with me for 25 and 30 years. Wow. And to me, it's, uh, I always took a lot of pride for that. I also lived, the company was located in a poor neighborhood, which is now gentrified in Knoxville. But one of the things I always took uh, honor in is the fact that there were some kids that grew up in that uh, rundown neighborhood that ended up becoming crew foremen for my company we're darn good at it but uh you got to play all ends against the middle to get good employees and you're going to go through three or four before you get one that stays and that is just the way it is you can't you, you can't just get somebody and, and expect them to survive you have to train them you got to work with them and make them feel valued and that they have uh, a, a life with you and it's more than they're not just tree monkeys out there doing a job they have to, you have to teach them to become skilled craftsmen. Uh, the guy that ran my plant healthcare, he ultimately became a skilled craftsman. In fact, I consider him 
the only person who could prune a tree better than me uh, in a bush. But it's because he took pride in what he was doing. And uh, I, I would harp on him to, to, to refine it and make it look good. But he was, he was, he was a technician. He was a, he was a skilled technician in what he was doing, a craftsman. And so you have to train them. But remember this, college students need to be hired also. And there's nothing wrong with hiring someone smarter than you. Uh, back in 81, I hired a guy who was teaching me. He was working on his PhD in plant pathology at UT. And he married a lady from the, near, near, near outside of Knoxville, but near Knoxville. And she didn't want to live anywhere else. And there weren't very many jobs for a plant PhD plant pathologist in Knoxville. And so I hired my former teacher to be a sales rep for me here in Knoxville. He got mad at me because I made him go learn to climb a tree first. I didn't want him to become a skilled tree climber, but until you touch trees, until you go out and do that, it helps you take what you know and look and see things in a tree to be able to deal with them more efficiently. Right, become a more well-rounded tree expert at that point, yeah. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he lasted with me for two years, and then he took a job as the first uh, urban forester for the city of Savannah, Georgia, twice the $18,000 that I was paying, which was, to me, $18,000 then. That was, that was, <laughs> it was yeah. more money than I could ever see. Yeah, inflation adjusted. It's probably four x that now, right? It's probably paying somebody eighty or hundred grand. Yeah, it's a it's a lot more than mm -hmm. it was then. For sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, this is awesome. Great shares with that, Jim. I appreciate that. So high school high school kids, I can't get leave before I tell them about that. They're the opposite end of the spectrum. You go to a school, and every guidance counselor in a high school knows that most people are into computers, but there is a group out there that they're not interested in computers. Oh, absolutely. They, want, they want to do something with their hands. And if you can talk to the guidance counselors, they know all those kids and they can tell you who the good ones are and reach out to them because they're looking for a career. They want something they can do with themselves. That's a darn good place to, to find employees. Well, great point. I mean, not everybody can be a desk jockey or computer type engineer or worker. There's a lot of people that do like blue collar things and working with their hands. So that's a good resource, local high schools, trade schools, things like that. Uh, so great share with that. So that's, this has been very eye-opening. So anybody listening, make sure you kind of go back and listen to some of these high points about hiring good individuals, training people, investing in your people, where to find local tree service uh, clients, you know, at the arts places and things like that. All of these have been great shares and, and unique perspectives from somebody that's been in the business since the mid 70s. So almost 50 years. So a wealth of knowledge there, Jim. If, if people are in the tree service business, and I'm not sure exactly, do you consult with those tree service business owners on how to best provide plant health care in their local market and then also have the products for them as well? I've been doing it for 50 years now. Well, that's awesome. I like to think that I, I started out as a poor boy. I didn't have any capitalization and I had to squeeze blood from turnips. And I, I feel like that my road to success is a road that anybody can do. They just have to pay attention to the details and, but, and, and they can do it. 
That's right. And that's why I wanted to have you on. I think this is a very timely interview and, and topic and discussion because we have a lot of clients that are getting into that side of the business or want to market for that side of the business in their local markets. And we're doing that for them. And we're marketing for different keywords rather than just tree trimming or tree removal and things like that. We're going after plant health care, fertilization, saving trees, different keywords other people are typing in. And so I wanted to get an expert on the show that basically knows that side of the business. This has been great, Jim. A lot of valuable uh, points that you've shared today, a lot of value for our listeners. If somebody wants to reach out to you, I know you mentioned, I know you're the owner and consulting arborist with tipco.green. And uh, what's your email address, if you don't mind? And we'll put it on the uh, show notes in the YouTube video. All right. The uh, Tipco's webpage is www.tipco. That's T. I-P-C-O dot green, color green. We're the only green company in America. Uh, I am at Jim at tipco dot green. Awesome. So guys, there you have it. If you got and any you questions. Can order, you can order any of these things online. I saw that. Uh, I have spent, um, we're like a grocery store for plant health care. Uh, and part of what you get is, is you get me mentoring and you get me answering questions. Uh, I've always had, I have, I have a strong feeling for the small guy, but we carry, we, 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 we work with big companies too. And I will, I've actually will go in and put on uh, training sessions for plant health care sales reps because plant health care cannot be separated from your sales reps. A lot of the big guys don't seem to understand that. Uh, you can't have a, a plant health care technician out there uh, just suddenly doing things. You've got to have a buy-in from the owner. You have to have a buy-in from all sales reps because those sales reps are going out and selling tree work and takedowns and printing. And if they do not understand plant health care, then they're leaving money on the table. That's all there is to it. And there's so many people. One of the things that I love to do is to actually go visit some of their like particular companies, uh, high-end clients. And my job is to look around and see where they've been leaving money on the table. We don't talk about this in front of the client, but it allows me to go see what their people are seeing and not seeing. Sort of, sort of, sort of like if you write a report on something, the teacher comes back and grades it and hands it back with all the uh, checks and circles around places where they could have done better. Well, I do the same thing with sales reps because sales reps, if they're, if they, 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 have, they have their own blinders on. Sure. They, 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 they sell what they have learned. And if they learn tree topping, that's what they're going to sell, which that isn't as much of an issue today as it was 30 years ago. But if they don't know anything about plant health care, they can't sell plant health care because they're not involved in it. Uh, going back to ag extension, they have brochures and pamphlets on every insect and disease in any community to help your people learn what those things look like. They may not tell you exactly how to solve it, but uh, what I found is that my mother always said there's more than one way to skin a cat. And in mm -hmm. the early days, everything was just tree tech or just Boget, but then they have uh, Arbor Jet, you have Arbor Systems, you have Rainbow, you have all these people who produce wonderful products and the efficacy of these is they all work they just have different degrees of complexity in how they work and i feel like that it took me 20 years to break from being just moje 
to being able to look rationally at what other products have. And most companies that produce products have certain products that are better than others. It's not that the other ones that aren't as good don't work. It's just uh, they usually have a product that is really, really state-of-the-art in that particular. And that's sort of like their, their, their beast that they rest upon. The other, it carries some of the others. But uh, my job is to help you know what some of those things are. Well, there you go, guys. That's a, a wealth of knowledge there. And if you have any questions or if you're looking to add that line of business onto your existing tree service business, Jim's a wealth of knowledge. He's got five decades in the business, can really help coach you on what would be the best methods and best practices in your local area to help with those trees and things like that, too. So, Jim, I know your, your time is very valuable. I want to thank you again for coming on today. Maybe we can have you on on a future episode. If you see any kind of trends coming up, um, anything that you would like to share, some valuable insights on you know what you're seeing. Uh, we'd be more than happy to have you back and you can kind of let us know what those look like and kind of stay on because I know you're on the forefront of this, right? You got your well, finger on the pulse. Next, next time we'll just focus on a small part of it instead of a general swap. We'll just deal with it and, and, and one or two issues. Okay. Maybe, yeah. No. Maybe, maybe we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. We can focus on something, narrow it down a little bit. I think, you know, hearing your backstory is very interesting too and a lot of people are just getting started in the business or maybe they're 10 years into the business 20 years into the business so you know really hearing from a veteran somebody who's been there done that sold a company i have have to share with you i remember taking in in school and looking at the names of chemicals and trees like to the poplars at liriodendron to the bifra and, and I sat there and looking at the names of chemicals, uh, metoclopred, uh, denitrofurin, uh, and, and it makes you wonder. I always thought that they stick people in a room someplace and say, you can't come out to come up with some weird name. Think about medical medical uh, pills and stuff that you had. That oh, yeah. They're, they're, you know, it, they're, 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 all, they're all, it's just like, yeah. where do they come <laughs> up with all these? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, Jim. Um, And uh, I'll have all of your contact information in the show notes on the YouTube video and on the uh, podcast in the, in the show notes for that part. So it's tipcode.green guys. And then Jim at tipcode.green for a consulting arborist, somebody can help you with the plant healthcare side of the business, one-stop shop grocery store, as he indicated on the website with anything that you need for plant healthcare for your local area. And guys, again, I want to ask if you're on the YouTube channel, watching this as a replay, please like, and subscribe to our channel. We've got more expert interviews coming up down the road and a, a new local webinar about local service ads on the Google Guaranteed side of things. If you're on the podcast, listen to the audio, like and subscribe to your favorite player. And until next time, we will see you then on the next episode. Have a good day. Thank you.